This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. So much to get to today. Rachel Blount covers the Olympics for the Star Tribune. will be with me in just a little bit to talk about all the Minnesotans, not just on uh, the Olympic team this year, the Summer Olympic team, making it through a lot of those trials this past weekend, but a lot of them have a great chance to bring home some hardware. Rachel will give us the lowdown on all that. She was at the gymnastics trial. She's been covering this for many, many years, and she really hasn't seen a year quite like this where so many Minnesotans are going to be represented at the Summer Games. Also got a corporate naming rights situation to uh, bring you up to speed on, as well as a Winter Classic that was supposed to be at Target Field a year ago, coming now in 2022. But first, what did I miss? You guys, I know Patrick Royce and I covered this to a certain degree on... uh, on Monday's show, the rainouts, uh, the rainout at Target Field, uh, rainout in quotation marks on uh, on on Saturday. I did not think we would have to do this again, 24 hours later. But here we are because there was another quote unquote rainout. This one in Chicago. Uh, Twins supposed to start a four-game series, kind of a kind of a big deal in in the in the scope of this season. Twins way back still of the White Sox, 11 and a half games. But if they're going to make any kind of move, they got to get going soon. Got to start winning some games. And this is an opportunity. Well, don't get one on, uh, don't get one right now. Um, game is rained out, threat of rain. Uh, everybody looked at the forecast like, really? Like, I don't know that it's going to rain. Kind of like the same thing happened with the, with the twins, uh, the twins White Sox game. I'm sorry, with the twins Cleveland game the other day. Sure seemed like maybe Chicago just need a little bit of rest. Twins get extra rest now. Boy, they've got to be so rested after that rainout, uh, quote-unquote, on Saturday. Now another, quote-unquote, rainout on uh, on Monday. Why play any of the games? Just just let's have this is, you know, maybe rain out the rest of the season. Why why bother playing the games when you could just take a day off? I don't know. Maybe just, just, just you know, rest, recuperate, you know, 10 days off. Why not? Um, but seriously... This is ridiculous. It, it prompted me to take a dive into the uh, the rule book, Major League Baseball rule book, and basically here's here's what here's what the rule is on on how it's determined whether or not a game will be rained out. Um, says the home team shall be the sole judge as to whether a game shall not be started because of unsuitable weather conditions or the unfit conditions of the playing field except for the second game of a, con- a conventional or split doubleheader. Now, there's an exception. A league may permanently authorize its president to suspend the application of this rule as to that league during the closing weeks of its championship season in order to assure that the championship has decided each year on its merits, basically to keep a team from you know, canceling a bunch of games at the end of the season when they're leading um, and uh, you know, keep the games from being played. I really think the league might need to intervene at a certain point here and change this rule, though, because it sure seems like the Twins manipulated this rule on Saturday to get a rest day, and the White Sox have done the same thing Monday. You know, they've lost seven of their last nine. They're tired. They're banged up. Yeah, I'm sure they could use a rest, but you know what? If you can play, if there's a chance you can play, you should try to play. So this bothers me. I feel like the rule needs to change if teams are going to keep doing this, and it bothers me on a couple different levels. One... You're manipulating an outcome, right? You're you're trying to use an edge. You're using a rule that maybe is poorly constructed. That kind of takes a it's 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 a little bit of a gentleman's agreement, as they might say, that uh, that a home team is going to act in good faith. And you know, I don't doubt that there was some weather on the radar in both cases that there's plausible deniability. 
Uh, but in each case, it was probably a coin flip as to whether you could get that game in. And instead of instead of starting it, and when you start it, then the umpires get control over it. Instead of starting it, they just cancel it wholesale, say, nope, we're not going to play. And in this case, they're not even going to make this one up until next month. So, so you're manipulating an outcome, and that bothers me. Just play the games as they are presented to you. And it's kind of this hyper-awareness of bad things that might happen. And I think this is a societal problem, not just a sports problem, but people really these days, I think, are afraid of what might happen. Like, oh, we can't play. It might rain. We better not do that today. Um, we, we better not go do this. Something bad might happen. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, we're all about risk mitigation. We're all, you know, we all kind of see the outcomes. We have this, you know, this kind of anxiety about certain things. But, you know, this is just a game. Um, you know, the, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to start the game and you're not going to be able to finish because it rains. And the best thing that's going to happen is that all the people that showed up to see a baseball game are going to get to see a baseball game because it didn't rain. Because that's also a possibility in the course of a day where the where the weather forecast is kind of iffy. Now, I want to also share with you, this is a letter to the editor, the Fargo Forum that I saw fans upset from about the, the Twins game Saturday that was called off. Uh, it said, last Saturday, the Park Rapids American Legion honored its members with a Twins baseball game and bus ride down to the cities. Always a fun day, but we left at 8 a.m., arrived at the stadium around noon, hour or so before the game time. Come to find out, half hour before the game was to begin, they announced it had been postponed until September due to potential thunderstorms coming later. What? Whoever it was in the management team that pulled this prank should be identified and held accountable for the deception and the inconvenience to a loyal Twins fan. Management knew early in the day there would be no game, but the opportunity for making money off a no game, selling food, drinks, merchandise, and keeping the ticket money was too overpowering to do the right thing by the fans. And that's exactly what Royce was getting at on Monday's show. Just the disservice you do to the fans when you postpone a game that they've showed up for, you get them in there, you have them, you know, buy the beers, you have them buy the parking, and then you, then you pull the plug on it. You know, if you're going to pull the plug, if you know you're going to do these shenanigans, call it four hours beforehand. You know, at least have the respect. Um, you know, maybe those guys from Park Rabbits can turn around on the bus and not even bother coming down here. So that part bothers me too. So it's, it's, it's this, A, it, it, it doesn't take into account the fans who actually support this team. B, you're manipulating the system for some kind of, you know, incremental gain I guess, you know, and it did work out for the Twins, right? They end up winning Sunday's game. They get Jay Happ to pitch that game. Kenta Maeda gets pushed back. He gets pushed back again now because he doesn't get to pitch Monday because that was also a quote-unquote rainout. So you get this manipulation. And the third piece, like I said, it's this hyper-awareness of what might go wrong. What what are we so afraid of? Let's Let's just play the games. Let's try it. Give it a shot. What's the worst thing that could happen? So I, I hope that teams come to their senses and or the league steps in and says, okay, we're taking all discretion of this out of your hands. It's now in the hands of the umpire crew. If they look at the radar, the same thing you can see, and they say, no, let's go, then play the damn game. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Rachel Blount, covers the Olympics for the Star Tribune, in addition to many other things, was at the gymnastics trials over the weekend. Um, and Rachel, 
Um, when I say you cover the Olympics, you are going to have a lot to cover. I saw your, uh, I saw the, the picture of your notebook that you tweeted with all the uh, Minnesota connections going to the Olympic games. And my goodness, it is growing and growing. How, how are you doing? First of all, <laughs> my head is spinning right now. We added 10 people to that list very quickly over the last couple of weeks with track and swimming and gymnastics. So you were at the gymnastics um, in, in you know the last you know few days. That was kind of the big one, right? And then let's let's start there because you know even before we started this segment, you and I were just talking about you know how we knew there was some high profile hopefuls going in, but for the reality to be basically from the men's and women's teams combined, three of the eight team members of the, you know from the all around from competing for Team USA and on those four person teams are from Minnesota. What, what, how did that even happen? I know it's, it's really kind of shocking. Shane Wiskus is a little ahead of schedule. Everybody kind of had him pegged for a 2024 guy because he's still fairly young. He just graduated from college this year in the men's side of gymnastics. Guys tend to hit their peak a couple of years after they are finished with college. So Shane was certainly ahead of schedule And Shane was a very interesting story at the trials as well. Uh, Probably a lot of listeners saw him at the national championships when he had those three very hard falls on high bar on his very last event. And there was some question, I I think, even in Shane's mind as to how he would come back from that. And would he be able to put together and and hit all of his routines? Could he go 12 for 12 at the trials? And he did. He was absolutely magnificent. So certainly earned that spot. And the two women, Sumi Lee was pretty much thought to be a lock going in. She's been very consistent and very solid all year. Second to Simone Biles in the all around at the national championships a few weeks ago. She ended up getting that second spot. And the thing last night that really turned heads was that Suni Lee actually beat Simone Biles last night in the all-around. And that is stunning. I mean, Simone Biles just does not lose. She's the right. She just doesn't ever lose. Didn't I see a tweet that that was the first time she had like finished not in first place in a full day of competition for like since like 2013 or something like that? 2013. That is correct. 2013. So that was quite a feat by SUNY who said I was on a a Zoom call with her a little bit ago, and she was kind of laughing and said, well, that's probably the last time that's going to (laughs) happen. She's still a little shocked by it herself. She had just a fantastic performance. A lot of women really showed nerves last night on the second night of the trials when everything was on the line. SUNY was as calm as could be. She was one of the few that made no mistakes. And Grace McCallum, played herself onto the team by having a very strong night last night as well. So she was in a group of three women that was in fourth, fifth, and sixth place and very, very close going into that second day of competition. They were separated by 0.300 of a point. So that could, yeah, that could have gone any which way. All three of them were, were in play for that fourth spot on the team. Certainly grace, outscored her day one scores, improved those day one scores on her first couple of events, pretty much held her serve on beam. And then floor exercise had a tiny little hiccup where on her first tumbling pass went way out of bounds because she was just so, she was so excited and that adrenaline's flowing. And, and sometimes 
You just hit those tumbling passes a little too hard, but it did not hurt her score that much. She ended up fourth and there was some discussion as to how the panel might choose. The way it works in gymnastics or on the women's side this year was the top two women in the all around at trials got automatic berths on that four person team for the Olympics. The other two spots were chosen by a selection committee. And there were some questions about exactly what criteria would they use and how they would choose that. They ended up simply going with the top four. They felt that that was the, the right choice to make. And, and I think it, it probably was. It's hard to argue that the top four at trials aren't, aren't your best four going into the Olympics. And Grace is a very solid all-arounder, which will be important at the Olympics too. That's amazing though. Just, yeah, she was the real... I surprise is maybe the wrong word, but, you know, like you said, Suni Lee being the real, you know, not that anything is known for sure going in, but she, you know, felt like she had a pretty tight grip on, you know, at least that number two spot, but just to get both Shane Wiskus and Grace McCallum in after they came into positions of, you know, maybe underdog is the wrong word, but, you know, borderline maybe in competing certainly with, with plenty of other good gymnasts to get them both in. I mean, it, it only, adds to this story. I mean, how, how, I guess, you know, we'll talk about some of the track and field and the swimming too, because we, we haven't talked for this podcast since before all of those trials happened, but you know, to, to, to have that happen, I mean, how, how do you, how do you even approach covering all this now that you know that you've got three gymnasts, all these other athletes in, in the mix from Minnesota? We're just starting to put these calendars together now and to lay out these schedules. That's typically the first thing we do once we know who our locals are for the Olympics. We get that Olympic calendar, we look at the dates of all the events, and we start placing in when we have locals competing. And we have a couple of days early on where they are stacked up, where we've got some locals that uh, Jim Suhan and I are going to have to really hustle to, to get everybody covered. We've got some folks that, uh, that have some events that bump up against each other. So we're going to get them all, but it's, uh, it's going to, it's going to be a challenge on a few days. You, you tweeted, like I said, a picture of all the, the you writing down the names you're writing out, you're running out of notebook space. How, how many do we have now from Minnesota that are, that are, you know, with Minnesota connections, either on our pro teams or, you know, some really viable Minnesota connection uh, that are on, uh, that are on Olympic teams now? We're up to 16. We wow. had six there. We were kind of in a holding pattern with six for quite a while. And then with swimming, track, and gymnastics, we added 10 people. And, and basketball, the two uh, links that were named to the basketball team. In that about a two-week period there, we added 10 people really quickly. That's amazing. So track and field, I watched you and I joked a little bit about the steeplechase last time you were on. And um, I was actually watching the, the finals just happened to turn it on at the right time. My, my wife couldn't believe she's like, she'd, she'd seen steeplechase before, but she was like, ah, these people that won, they just guaranteed, they just guaranteed themselves more steeplechase. Like she, she, thought, <laughs> she was like, well, exactly. Is, is Who that would you sign want? up for that? Right. Yeah. Is, is that what you want? But, but, <laughs> uh, but in that event, one of those Minnesotans did get in. Yeah. Mason Furlick finished third and that's a great story. You know, he's, 
He's had a lot of disappointments and injuries in his career, and yet he has just kept working and working and working at it. And he got that third place spot locked up. He's going to be a really fun one to watch at the Olympics. He's a really bright guy. So he is from Roseville, uh, went to the University of Michigan, ran for them, and just a terrific guy. He's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to cover. And then our other two with track, Peyton Otterdahl and the shot put. Yeah. Peyton. Uh, was a track guy and a wrestler, I believe, at uh, Rosemount High School. And threw the shot at North Dakota State and was absolutely a terrific athlete up there. Won an NCAA indoor shot put championship. He comes from a family of throwers. His two brothers Mm -hmm. also are throwers. And Peyton was kind of uh, kind of quietly in the background because the uh, Ryan Krauser is is the big head honcho there with with shot put in uh, in the U.S. men, the world record holder, smashed it again at trials. So he's a very well known person, and there's kind of a battle there among the top couple of guys. And Peyton was kind of lurking in the shadows in a group of about three or four that could have seized that third spot. And he had a great day at trials and grabbed it. So he's a good one. And then Joe Klecker in the men's 10,000 meters. Joe is a guy who comes from Minnesota distance running royalty of sorts. His uh, mother and father are Barney and Janice Klecker. Janice Mm -hmm. marathon in the Olympics. And I believe it was 1992. And Joe is a Hopkins high school grad, couple of state championships there went out and ran at the University of Colorado and had a very nice college career and is a young professional now. And another guy that I think took a big step up, he went in with the seventh best qualifying time in the men's 10K. So I think maybe not exactly a surprise for him to get third place, but a big step up for him. And another guy who maybe made it to that Olympic team a a little earlier than folks might have expected. Yeah, absolutely. So all those play, and you mentioned the the basketball teams got named too. We got you know two links players on that team with Sylvia Fowles and, and Afisa Collier, both of them having you know good seasons in the WNBA, then taking that Olympic break. Uh, Rachel, it's 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 an impressive feat. I feel like we usually talk about this volume of Minnesota athletes when we're talking about the Winter Games, not the Summer Games. Is that am I? I'm not making that up, right? Or has that gap gotten? closer as the years have gone on as as we haven't just specialized in those cold weather sports. You know what I think is different this time, Mike, is we have so many high profile people on our summer Olympic team this time. It's not uncommon for Minnesota to have maybe 12 or 14, but in the past that's been say two or three people on the volleyball team, uh, three or even four on the women's basketball team. And we've had some big crowds there with those Lynx players. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then folks, a lot of folks in in smaller sports and maybe folks that didn't have uh, quite as, as much of a medal possibility as we've got now. But holy smokes, I mean, we've got a lot of people here that, that could win gold medals. We've got Reagan Smith in swimming. We got Gable Stevenson in wrestling. Got Elise Willoughby in BMX. We've got uh, our... Uh, Gymnasts, I think, are, are certainly in line. Uh, the, the women are in line for team gold. Everybody seems to think that's almost a given for the United States to win team gold in women's gymnastics. Suni Lee is considered the favorite to win the Olympic gold medal on the uneven bars. So we've just got a ton of people here that, that 
could win gold medals. The basketball players, women's basketball, they tend to dominate. So we, we could come out of this with a ton of Minnesota golds. Should be a lot of fun. Last time you were on, we, we kind of, you know, we talked about where we were at with, you know, preparations for the games. Has any of that changed at this point? How, how are, you know, we're only a little over three weeks out from, you know, opening ceremony, start of things. Where, where do we feel like things are with, you know, preparations and how things are looking in Japan right now? Well, the good news is that the vaccination rate has picked up. They're at about 10% vaccinated in Japan now. And so that's a pretty significant rise for them. They've been hovering around the 2 to 3% mark for a very long time. The bad news is that infections are also increasing. They are on the verge of another surge in Japan. They are seeing the rates increasing in a number of areas. And they're also seeing more cases of the Delta variant, which really worries them because that one is so contagious. They're quite concerned. Uh, there was uh, some discussion this morning. I read in an AP story that uh, they could extend another state of emergency. It's entirely possible the Olympic Games will be contested in a country that is under a state of emergency because of, of covid so that, that's a distinct possibility. But again, it's all systems go. There's absolutely no indication that there will be any kind of a delay, postponement, cancellation. It's, it's full steam ahead at this point. It almost feels like a dual reality at this point where you, you've got, you know, what's happening in the country overall and what's happening as they prepare to, to have these games. And I guess, you know, at a certain point, right, there's, a, there's kind of a point of no return uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, but it, it, it feels very, it still does feel strange to me. I agree. It feels strange to me too. And as we talked about before, I, I feel for the Japanese citizens because I, I think if you held a vote in Japan, they would ask for the games to be delayed again. The public opinion polls continue to show they're very worried about the Olympics becoming a super spreader event. There's even some discussion in the scientific community that the Olympics could breed a new variant. Right. You've got people coming in from 200 countries with all kinds of strains of COVID. So it's entirely possible that that could happen as well. So the Japanese people are very nervous and, and edgy about this. And, and I, I don't blame them, but the IOC is absolutely determined to make these games happen. And the way their contracts are written, the host country really doesn't have much recourse. The IOC kind of owns them. IOC makes all the decisions. And one good thing about these games is it's hold that curtain back a little bit. So people understand now mm -hmm. how very powerful the IOC is and that it may not always make decisions that are in the best interest of the host country. It's going to make decisions that are in its own best interest. It may make more countries wary of bidding for future Olympics. Very true. Final thought, Rachel Blount. Um, great job covering everything this weekend. Please follow her stuff. Um, on follow her on Twitter. Of course, she'll be providing lots of links and and you know news and updates as we get closer. And certainly from uh, you know from the games themselves. Um, but you know specifically Star Tribune, Star Tribune Any particular stories that you haven't gotten to tell yet that you're looking forward to telling, either you know in the lead up to the games or during the games themselves. We have a few local athletes that I don't know anything about in sports that I don't know anything about. And I'm really looking forward to connecting with them. We have a sailor from Shoreview named Lara Dahlman Weiss. We have a shooter, Patrick Sunderman from Farmington. He's part of the Army Marksmanship Unit. 
Hmm. That's just fascinating to me. So those are two of the people that I'm really looking forward to talking to just to learn about their sports, learn about them and learn about their whole Olympic journey. Awesome. I look forward to reading about that as well. Rachel Blount, go get some rest and uh, gear up for uh, what I'm sure is going to be a busy next couple of months for you. Thanks a lot, Mike. You know, one, uh, one addendum to what, uh, what Rachel was talking about with all the Minnesota connections, bunch of Timberwolves connections announced as part of the Olympics as well, just not part of Team USA. Josh Akogi playing for Nigeria, Juancho Hernan Gomez and Ricky Rubio playing for Spain, Leandro, Balmar- Leandro Balmaro, uh, draft pick in 2020, um, hasn't hasn't come over here yet, but he will play for Argentina. And assistant coach Pablo Prigoni will be an assistant coach for Argentina. So a lot of a uh, a lot of different uh, a lot of different connections for uh, for the uh, for the Wolves in the in the in this uh, in this tournament. So pretty cool uh, that uh, that they have a lot a lot of these uh, these connections. And you know, one more reason to watch the Olympics and pay attention to that. Some news out of the NHL. Yeah, not just uh, the Tampa Bay. Smoked Montreal 5-1 in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final on Monday. But it was announced that uh, the Winter Classic that was supposed to be in Minnesota, um, Target Field, last year, you know, about six months ago, I guess, at this point, that was postponed because of COVID. That has been rescheduled for New Year's Day 2022. Pretty cool uh, that this will be coming here. I'm looking forward to that. If I don't know if you guys watched the or went to the Stadium Series game that was here a bunch of years ago, I think it was 2016 between Wild and uh, Chicago. I was at that game. It was pretty fun, you know. Just out- outdoor hockey in a venue like that. It it just it, there's something different about it. It's just a different atmosphere. The NHL has had you know, a really good run of success with with doing things like that and just you know expanding that a little bit more and and having having that be a kind of a signature part of of its offering every year. So it comes at a good time of the year. You, you're not like you know, too deep into the playoff push, things things like that. Hopefully it's a nice day. Hopefully it's not too hot. Hopefully not too cold right in the middle. And uh, and, and Target Field can put on a good event with the, uh, with the Winter Classic that was postponed and is now on once again. Well, let's finish with the cooler. I, I said TCF Bank Stadium, which is still correct uh, for that uh, stadium series game five years ago. But we're getting a naming rights change here. Huntington Bank, which, uh, you know, had, you know, merger with TCF Bank, that stadium is going to change here in, in the coming months when that merger becomes final. And, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal, really. You know, when you, we don't really think of corporate naming rights as, as all that big of a deal. But it did occur to me that we haven't had one of these changes really here. You know, we've had, you know, Target Center started out as Target Center. It's been that way for more than 30 years now. Target Field, same thing. It's been like that for over a decade. XL Energy Center opened up 20 years ago it's been that ever since you know the naming rights haven't changed here like they have plenty of other places i mentioned guaranteed rate field earlier that's where the white Sox play that was comiskey um the new comiskey when it first opened then it became u.s cellular field and now guaranteed rate field i still call safeco (laughs) i still call seattle's ballpark safeco it's a it's a habit that's not going to change and i imagine a lot of you don't call uh mariucci arena 3m arena at Mariucci or whatever it is they call it so that was maybe the first switch we have but we didn't have we haven't had the switch from like one corporate partner to another and just kind of goes to show you that those you know these names are these are bought and sold these are not like permanent things these are not permanent parts of the infrastructure of a stadium necessarily unless it's like a hundred year deal or something like that so I, this is going to be 
one of those things where you're probably going to say TCF Bank Stadium for many, many years to come, even though the official name has changed. doesn't really change what the stadium looks like. doesn't really matter much on game day. Just one of those things where we are now kind of in the midst of the second generation of names. Something different for this market that we haven't been through yet that plenty of other markets have been through, um, you know, with all of these corporate naming rights taking over right now. That'll do it for today. That gets got a treat for you coming up on Wednesday. J.E. Skeets, old school blogger, podcaster. We're going to have a good discussion. He and I go way back uh, to uh, to the early days of the internet. I'm going to talk some hoops. I'm going to have to ask him about Ben Simmons, little Timberwolves talk, little NBA playoffs talk, and a little bit of the good old days talk. See, uh, see he's doing some great things right now with his No Dunks podcast. So really looking forward to that conversation. And I'm going to bring you that on Wednesday's show. Thanks for joining me here today. Hope you have a great rest of your Tuesday, and we'll catch you again on Wednesday.